Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump, Ellis. Well, good morning and happy Friday. It's always great to get to the end of the week, and I hope that all of you uh, enjoy the upcoming weekend and uh, remember not only to go to church, uh, be part of a church family, and um, I know that so many of our AFR listeners are, and it's just, it's a wonderful thing to be able to go to church and be uh, members and part of the Ecclesia, and I know that uh, during the COVID pandemic, when uh, people couldn't go to church, we realized what a a great and wonderful blessing it is um, to have religious freedom in this country and to be able to openly uh, worship uh, Christ, our Savior, and to go and uh, participate in church. And um, I always, I always just love it. And a lot of times I'm traveling over the weekend. And so, you know, sometimes I'm um, at other churches or sometimes I I don't, unfortunately, I get to go on Sunday morning. But um, You know, if you are able to go on Sunday morning, great. And if you attend church, um, you know, different time of the week as well, um, obviously, you know, that's uh, that is just fine. And being part of a church and having uh, brothers and sisters that uh, exhort you, encourage you, it's it's so, so necessary. And I'm so grateful um, for so many of uh, my church family that input into my life and keep me accountable and encourage me as well because um, there is just so much going on all the time uh, that can really get discouraging if we don't have an eternal perspective and realize that everything that we do in this life is ultimately for the purpose of first knowing our Savior, coming into a saving knowledge of Him, and then speaking that truth uh, to others and bringing them into a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. So, Uh, You know, sometimes on Fridays on this program, um, I will use the opportunity because it's a Friday to and usually a little bit slower of a news day um, to to play uh, some longer form interviews or some other, uh, you know, clips and things um, from other sources that generally we wouldn't kind of, you know, during the week when we're talking about other things. So um, so for today, I wanted to take this opportunity to um, to play um, over the next segment, and this is about, you know, 35-ish minutes um, of a presentation that I gave um, a couple of weeks ago in Boise, Idaho at um, the We the Patriots conference, and this was the first uh, national conference of this specific organization. And um, I would really encourage you, before I get into the the substance of what I spoke about, um, I'd really encourage you, um, if you are looking for a ministry opportunity or a place um, to give besides, you know, obviously here at AFR or other ministries, um, We the Patriots is doing really, really good work in substance substantive areas of uh, actually promoting and protecting our policy and our constitution, um, primarily through litigation. And Brian Festa, who has been a guest on this show um, and has become a very good friend of mine, um, he is an attorney and uh, has created and founded this organization um, to help uh, really primarily in litigation. And 
during the the evening part of uh, this conference when I was out in Boise a few weeks ago, um, that was again one of those <laughs> one of those times where I was traveling over the weekend. Uh, during the dinner event where uh, my good friend Charlie Kirk and uh, Steve Dace and, and a few others, um, Peter McCullough, uh, one of the, the prominent doctors that's spoken um, you know, the, the truth about, uh, again, the COVID pandemic as well. Um, all of us who were there, um, we were really encouraging the people there to support Brian because, uh, and my comments at the dinner were that, you know, during COVID, during the midst of the church shutdowns uh, and and a lot of this that was just uh, really, I, th- I think, intentionally targeting Christians um, in the context of church. Um, a lot of you know that I represented uh, Pastor John MacArthur and Grace Community Church um, out in California. And uh, that was a really big national case. What you may not know is that there were a lot of other people um, in my home state of Colorado um, that I was able to help get a religious exemption to uh, the experimental vaccine and um, ultimately help keep their jobs. And um, and a number of other churches um, across the country uh, was able through the Thomas More Society to help represent. And, um, and all of that to say, I was so overwhelmed with how many people contacted me from across the country looking for legal representation that I couldn't possibly handle it all. Um, I handled as many as I could, um, and this was all pro bono. I mean, and this was while I was working for the Trump campaign at the time, um, and you know, was uh, was was helping support uh, the president's reelection campaign. So much going on. Um, so there was very limited time and also limited resources with the Thomas More Society, which also does really great work in uh, particularly First Amendment law and um, in that substantive area. But the point is, there are not enough lawyers for how many Christians are being targeted with a lot of uh, this, you know, frankly, persecution. And so there are a lot of great organizations like our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom, um, where I'm also an allied attorney, the Beckett Fund, our friends at First Liberty, the Thomas More Society, where I'm special counsel. You know, there's there are organizations, but even within all of these other nonprofits, there still aren't enough lawyers to handle all of the different things um, from everywhere that that I always still get people contacting me asking for legal help. And so Brian um, has now created this organization, We the Patriots, and you can find them online and and learn more about their work. But he um, has now dedicated himself to being one of the attorneys that help. So I just want to um, stand with him and uh, promote him here on this show to you so that um, if you have a friend that is um, that is going through legal difficulties in in some area being persecuted by the government for being a Christian um, in, in any context. I mean, we see pastors, parents, um, you know, all of these different situations, cake bakers, florists, you know, all of these things in churches uh, that have had various state and government agencies uh, target them and come after them. So if you have a friend who is, or you are in this situation, uh, you can look at We the Patriots. You can look at uh, some of these other organizations as well to seek help from. 
And if you are not in this situation, but you understand how we are all in this together as Christians, as the body of Christ, and you would like to give to his organization to help support more attorneys engaging in this battle, then I know he would greatly appreciate that. Um, And so, and I really appreciate that as well, because I wish that I had even more time to help more people than I already do and that I already can. Um, But there is only one of me, and so we need to multiply um, all of the lawyers and all of the great advocates uh, across the country that we can so that um, even more people can engage this fight. So um, so that is We the Patriots. And now turning to uh, this particular presentation that I want to play for you coming up after the break. Um, in context, this uh, whole um, conference was not only geared toward protecting our rights, but specifically around uh, what we learned through the whole COVID pandemic and how the government tried to coercively compel uh, vaccine mandates um, through the Biden administration. And, um, and then looking at even you know the creation of this vaccine. And so in that context, I wanted to provide some analysis and commentary around how we got here, um, how we as conservatives can continue to stand up for the truth. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to hear this presentation because um, I think it's so important that we as Christians continue to stand firm, understand our Constitution, and understand our history. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning, and you will hear my presentation from Boise at the We the Patriots conference coming up right after this. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. It's been so great to be here with all of you and concerned about freedom and liberty. That's why we're here, right? Because we know that we, the people, still have rights in this country. And we can talk about medical freedom, like what Dr. McCullough has just talked about. And I loved everything that he said. And we can talk about uh, pro-life and the right to life, like Abby Johnson talked about this morning. We can talk about election integrity and why our right to select and prefer our leaders in office still remains fundamental to us. We can talk about specific rights. And I want to go back then to a more 30,000-foot perspective on why we the people, or we the patriots, as this this conference is very aptly titled, still matters. Because if we look at the scope of human history, if we look even contemporaneously at the other nations across the globe, if we look at what we saw in the midst of the COVID pandemic and how other countries handled COVID and how, unfortunately, so many people in our own government here in the United States of America wanted to trample our freedoms, our rights, and our liberty to say, we the people get to make decisions for ourselves and for our families and understand that we still have inalienable rights that come from God, our creator. We have to come back to why. Why is America different? And why are we still a great experiment? Will this experiment continue or have we really ceded our freedoms and our liberties for our government's protection? This is the question that our founders asked and contemplated at the original constitutional convention. 
when they were debating and discussing what form of government should we have in the United States of America? And they could have come up with a lot of different responses to that. They were dealing with the Articles of Confederation that was a very weak national government and focused even more on state sovereignty, which now we're kind of in the inverse of that, where we've seen an overbroad, overarching federal government that's really trampling on state sovereignty and on the sovereignty and the dignity of our own individual rights. But our founders recognized that before we were, we the people, we had three very, very important words before that. This unanimous declaration. The Declaration of Independence was the charter for our nation to understand what we recognized as the truth of the reality to which God has presented us. And I stand before you today as a Christian and I believe in God, our creator, and I believe that every individual is made in God's image and has certain inalienable rights that our founders recognized and specified that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, among others. But I don't have to convince you to be a Christian and join me in that belief before I can tell you that our government is absolutely a Christian nation. Why is that? because we have a declaration of independence that recognized for the first time in world history that government does not give us our rights. Our rights are pre-political. They are endowed to us by God. And we can know that and recognize that based on the reality to which we are presented as C.S. Lewis talks about in Mere Christianity. We can recognize that fact and therefore obligate our government and its system to follow that premise and to preserve and protect all of our rights. So what did our founders do? Well, they came up with a beautiful system and our U.S. Constitution that gave very specific and limited powers to our federal government and then preserved all of the other powers of government, of civil society, to the states and to we the people. We the people still have powers of civil government, right? That's what we don't talk about much in this society. We don't talk much about how we the people actually retained not only all of our rights as individuals, but any power of decision-making, of preserving our own ability to walk as a free people in society that is not specifically delegated to our federal government or through state constitutions to our state governments. And so when we come to questions like how do we preserve and protect freedom in 2023? How do we protect the right to reject a vaccine, and I use that in air quotes, right, because that's not even a really a proper definition of something that is an experiment. How do we decide for ourselves how we can worship the Lord? How do we decide for ourselves how we can do exactly what we're doing right now, which is exercising our first freedoms, the freedom of speech, freedom of association, free exercise of religion, and if you're watching online, freedom of the press, right, because we're speaking together about truth and about knowing who we are 
as individuals made in the image of God and exercising our rights. We're contemplating the very same question just in a different context than our founders did at the original Constitutional Convention. And the answer to our issues today in 2023 and moving forward in our American experiment is the same answer that our founders provided at the very inception of our great American experiment. And that is that our government does not have unlimited power. Our government does not give us our rights. Every human being across time and history has been made in the image of God, has inherent dignity and worth, and has every right to determine their own trajectory and to exercise the right to pursue happiness, is how our founders put it, but to pursue liberty and freedom. Now, what does the definition of liberty and freedom mean in the context of a civil society? Well, we have to promote truth in society. And that's why we have our rights to exercise freedom of speech, association, free exercise of religion, not just the mere right to believe, but to actually exercise our religion and say, I don't want to take a vaccine. I will not be compelled against my will, against my religion, against my conscience to accept something that is experimental. Well, why can we still do that here in the United States? Well, we can because our U.S. Constitution gives no power to the government otherwise. And that's what we, the people, have to still come back to. And that has to consistently be our argument, is to say, well, look, CDC, you're trying to impose all of these medical mandates, federal government, you're trying to impose a mandate under OSHA or some other type of regulation that thankfully the Supreme Court said no, I'm still actually convinced that we would be in the midst of a so-called COVID pandemic if our U.S. Supreme Court had not struck down the OSHA mandate. We would still be uh, being lied to by the federal government, right? It was only because a majority of the U.S. Supreme Court decided to strike that down that we are in the midst of uh, being able to get past that. But what that did and that precedent should show us is how very, very easy it is to be just one moment, one day, one week, one mandate away from the government overstepping and telling us you will lose your job, you will lose your freedom, you will be jailed in some instances. If you go to a, a pregnancy center and you stand for the right to life, if you reject an experimental vaccine, if you stand up at a a uh, education school meeting with your own children and you ask and have the audacity as a parent to say, what is my child being taught in school? This is why I'm an advocate for homeschooling, by the way. But um, I was homeschooled K through 12. Yay, go my parents. Um, <laughs> so how many of you in here homeschool, by the way? Okay, a lot of you, good. Keep doing it. And this is why that we have to continue to protect all of these rights to say, government, no, you don't have the power. And so as we look at this question of, are we a Christian nation? Well, undoubtedly. And the answer to that resoundingly is yes. And we can defend that regardless of what an individual in this country believes about God. It doesn't matter what that individual believes about the laws of nature or of nature's God. 
a, our state legislature or our US Congress could get together next session and they could say, you know what would be really great for us? We could, in session, decide to repeal the law of gravity. I, we don't think that that one's working out for us so well anymore, right? And they could pass that law. And you should all laugh at this point because that would be so completely absurdly ridiculous because they simply don't have the power over nature to implement or impose that law. There is no power given, right? But it's the same thing in the entire construct of moral law. And what we are doing now as a society that um, I've started to call moral gerrymandering, right? Which is this idea that the government and largely even conservatives or so-called conservatives are starting to suggest that we can redraw the boundaries of the laws of morality to suit whatever it is that we want to redefine and re-arbitrate in our own reality. And we're starting to see that with a lot of these definitions of what it means to be a woman, for example, what it means to have a marriage, what it means to be a person. And we are legislating according to these vague and very spurious definitions. We have to, as conservatives, and I hope most of you in here are also Christians, and I hope that you also believe in the truth of knowable, discoverable reality, we cannot allow the left or our society to redefine all of these terms and then legislate accordingly. Because that's how we got into this mess. Not only do we have a long history of the last 50 or 60 years of the United States Supreme Court just absurdly making opinions out of thin air, but they have slowly been redefining their own powers within the context of the U.S. Constitution. And it started uh, really with the case in 1965 that was more of the, uh, the outflow of what had started in culture. And so as Andrew Breitbart very famously said, politics is downstream from culture. That's true. And I would add to that that culture is downstream from worldview. Whatever your view of reality is and whatever you understand and define, uh, understand and define reality to be, that will influence culture, and then culture inevitably influences politics, which is our law. Politics is defined as truth in community. How do we live in a well-ordered society and interact with each other? What is our understanding and definition of freedom? Well, that depends on how we view the world. And if we view the world correctly and in accordance with reality, then we will understand that a well-ordered society has to be rational, has to have objective definitions. And we have to understand that we are not the arbiters of our own reality. As much as any one person could say, well, you know, I wish that I was born in a different body. Well, the reality is you weren't. And how do we deal with that reality? How do we deal with the self-evident truth? If we are at the point in society, and I was uh, seeing a, uh, a leftist on Twitter just yesterday who was saying in response to Daily Wire's uh, What is a Woman documentary, saying if you had asked me, and he's probably in his 30s, if you had asked me five years ago if I could define and answer the question, what is a woman, 
I would have been able to say, well, that's a person with woman parts and a person, you know, with uh, the, the correct chromosomes. Now, today, with more education, more observation, more understanding, I don't know that I could answer that question. And I'm thinking, more education? More? No, all, all this is is cultural influence. All this is is a paradigm shift in worldview that is telling us a lie that is as old as Genesis 3, right? Which is you can be like God. We, as Solomon, King Solomon said and observed in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. We are sinning in all of the same ways, which is rejection. Sin is defined as what is not truthful and who, what is truth? Well, truth is the person of God. And he, for his own sovereign purposes, ordained and established the parameters of the world to which we are created. And he allowed us through his perfect sovereignty and as well to discover truth and discover and know him. And where we continue to have a false worldview and therefore false definitions in culture that ultimately end up in a false ideology of politics and law and what we as a collective in our legislature, in our, under even our U.S. Constitution can do, can trace back to a rejection of God's divine authority. And that is the problem that our founders saw at the very beginning when the three writers of the Federalist Papers that were advancing the arguments to ratify the U.S. Constitution in its then uh, current form, and of course we've amended the, con the Constitution 27 times in our nation's history because they understood if we were to protect and preserve and continue on a more perfect union, we needed to be able to make adjustments. And they said, we're not gonna get everything right the first time, but we're gonna do as best we can, but we're gonna leave this open to some tweaks and some fixes along the way. That's, that's our system of government. But what they argued for and what they expressly understood in the Federalist Papers is that men are fallen. And we as sinners will crave more power. We will have a false world view. We will try to be gods of our own universe. And the biggest lie that is being perpetuated in the worldview of our U.S. Constitution and our great American experiment is that we, the people, are the sovereigns. That is not true because we, the people, are not God. We cannot together collectively redefine and re-arbitrate our own reality any more than one single individual can. There is no more power in a majority to redefine and arbitrate our own reality and change the definition of what is a woman than there is one individual saying, I'm going to be transgender, right? There is no power by which we can do that. So who is the sovereign of America? our founders recognized and they appealed to the divine sovereign, to our divine lawgiver and their name for God in the Declaration of Independence is the supreme judge of the universe. And I love that name for God because they understood 
to whom they were appealing for the, as they termed it, the rectitude of their intentions, for the moral uprightness of what they were about to do when they first declared unanimously independence from a rogue, infringing, and absurdly tyrannical government. They said, this is not any more reflecting the truth of reality. And when, and, and we will always have governments that will infringe or, you know, when, when I'm driving down the road and I say, you know, this really should be a speed limit of 60 and it's only 30, that is not okay with me. That's fine, right? We can all take our little grievances. But when we have a nation that is now suggesting to us that it has the authority to say, yes, it is permissible in this country to abort children and to redefine personhood, when they say it is, yes, permissible and even compelled in our society that you will take an experimental vaccine that is untested and you give up your right to decision-making for yourselves, for your children, or lose your job, and you are compelled. When we are now compelled as Christians, as conservatives, some of you who are parents, to say, well, when we send our children to school, we now give up the right to know what they are being exposed to and what they're being taught. When we are compelled not only to stay silent on truth, but we are compelled to affirmatively speak that which is false, which would include pronouns, which would include all of these wokeisms that is really cultural Marxism that suggests that we are God of our own reality and that this new religion of the left will compel you to affirm it or basically have a modern day heresy trial. Really, that's, that's what this is becoming. In some of the modern day star chambers, like my former home state of Colorado, that gave rise through the Colorado Civil Rights Division to say that a cake baker or a website designer has to affirm a false definition of marriage Otherwise, they can be sued. They can lose their business. They can no longer speak truth. Or like my former client, Pastor John MacArthur out of California, if you do not close your church because we, the state, are telling you to, and you have to buy into this false notion of this pandemic, and you have to separate and social distance and mask wear and, you know, singing hymns is going to literally kill you. That was what the state of California was telling them then we are going to threaten you with jail time unless you comply. Those are not small infringements. Those are things that go against the very definition and the true and proper definition of what freedom genuinely means. And it goes against the natural rights of every human being made in the image of God. And as our founders recognized, our creator God endowed us with our rights. And we, the people, because of his sovereignty, we give certain limited powers to our government on the federal and state level to protect and preserve those rights, not to infringe upon them. And so when we ask this question, are we a Christian nation? Absolutely we are because God remains our sovereign. Now the pushback to that of course is, oh Jenna, you're, you're, you're advocating for a theocracy. Absolutely not. 
what I am advocating for is reality, okay? Staying within the margins of not only our U.S. Constitution and what it actually means, not what the Supreme Court in 1965, and I'll get into that case, said that it means and all of the case precedent after that, we are recognizing what our great experiment is all about. And so what happened to get us off of this course besides this false worldview, besides this false and arbitrary definition that unfortunately a lot of conservatives hold up, we the people, and say, we the people need to stand up and say no. We the people, I mean, all of that is true. But don't point to we the people because one person can be just as wrong as the majority of people. It is not that I, in and of my own authority, my own wisdom, my own godlike qualities, are saying that life begins at conception or that I have a right to decline an experimental vaccine, all of these other things. I would be appealing to my own authority. Our founders appealed to God's sovereign authority. And because of that, their revolution was justified. They were not rebellious going against the authority system that was proper. And so we are not advocating for a theocracy in the sense that the church is the same thing as the state. This is what Thomas Jefferson meant in his letter to the Danbury Baptists that talked about the separation of church and state. He was talking about a jurisdictional sense. God has ordained three institutions of government that we can observe in society which is the civil government, the family government, and the church government. They all have different authority that is delegated by God, who is the divine authority and the supreme authority. Their jurisdiction is simply different. Now, that does not mean, under a separation of church and state, that Christians can't be involved in government. That's ridiculous. Or that members of government can't be involved in church. That's also ridiculous. Just like members of our government are involved in families, and most of them have families. They can also be involved in church. And just like family members are involved in, hopefully, in church, can also be involved in government. It just means that the jurisdiction, their authority, what they can arbitrate is separate and it's different. And I'm very grateful that um, as we discover in Romans 13 in the Bible, that the civil government carries the sword, meaning that it can impose the consequences for morally corrupt behavior in our civil society, meaning how we interact with each other in a society. If we are to have a well-ordered society, we have to have things that we permit and we prohibit in society. Well, based on what? Not just our rationale. Look at how well that's turned out for us, right? Not just based on what the majority can enforce and compel and coerce, but based on an objective moral truth. But I'm very glad that the government carrying the sword and all of the protections of due process were not given by God, for example, to parents, right? Because a lot of us would remember being rebellious kids or having other, you know, issues that come up that parents have discipline, of course, and should discipline their children. And the Bible also talks about that, but is limited in terms of what type of discipline to impose. 
And that is also the same for church discipline. I wish that more churches were like my former client, Pastor John MacArthur, that actually does exercise church discipline so that you have a measure of accountability for the family. And all of this is supposed to work in harmony together and being just like the three branches of our federal government, the legislative, the executive, and the judiciary, we also have a difference and a distinction in authority and delegated powers to our civil government, our family government, and our church government. So our founders recognized this, and that's why they understood that we, the people, retain all of our rights. And during the uh, Constitutional Convention, there was also this argument between uh, Alexander Hamilton and James Madison about a Bill of Rights. And Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 84, which is my personal favorite, and this was long before the Broadway show, so he was always my favorite before that even, Um, Alexander Hamilton wrote in Federalist 84 that bills of rights in the sense that they were traditionally advocated for was that bills of rights would be from the subjects to the crown where they had given over all of their rights to the crown for freedom and for protection from their sovereign, the king, the crown, who was the head of the church and was the legislative, executive, and judicial all in one, right? And so then the people started to say, well, we need to have a bill of rights so that the crown doesn't just completely trample on our rights and designate and then pull back and retain some of our rights. And Hamilton argued quite brilliantly that the constitution doesn't give our federal government any power by which to, for example, in his hypothetical, was to limit the freedom of the press. And he said, well, why should we have a bill of right that says you can't limit the the freedom of the press when no power has been given to it by which these restrictions should be imposed? And he said, so bills of rights in those sense, we don't even need it. It is a redundancy protection. And he said, and future individuals in government and agents of government who are disposed to infringe and usurp powers would look at this and would say, well, because this specific right has been so-called granted to the people through the Constitution in our Bill of Rights, then the government could say, well, we are going to then put restrictions or we are going to reclaim that. He was very precise and apt on what is going on now. And that's what our U.S. Supreme Court, through the history of jurisprudence, in, and even starting in the very first case in 1804, Marbury v. Madison, talking about how the court system could review all of these things where no power was really given to the federal government to impose some of these restrictions, and now the Supreme Court is going to arbitrate it. So going back to the 1965 seminal case, which was Griswold v. Connecticut, this was the first case that dealt with a contraceptive issue. And could uh, Connecticut have uh, restrictions and mandates and statutes and so forth dealing with how to regulate contraceptives? And this was in the context of the rise of feminism and the sexual revolution. And the then Supreme Court literally understood and even said in the opinion that they understood, the majority understood, we have no power to determine this. But what they said is, 
we will read between the lines of the text of the Constitution and from the vast penumbra that emanates from the lines between the text of the Constitution, we see the rights that are given to people and therefore we can adjudicate matters based on that. That was literally their rationale. And it's called the penumbra doctrine and it's taught in law schools today. It was taught in my law school. And thankfully, my parents, through homeschooling, through my church, through worldview programs, had taught me differently to say, well, wait a minute, <laughs> that doesn't mesh with reality, that doesn't mesh with the U.S. Constitution. I am going to reject that premise. And I followed that, and that ultimately uh, gave rise to the book that I wrote in 2015 called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution, to have an argument that is objective as to why we can still today advocate for yes, we are a Christian nation because our rights are given by God, not our government. And to have a rational legal basis, not just a faith-based premise. Because anyone can say, well, I'm not a Christian, stop imposing your values on me. And I'd say, well, aren't you imposing your values on me by telling me not to impose my values on you? I mean, it's a self-defeating argument, right? But nobody in court today is arguing these things. They are going based on the doctrines that the Supreme Court has articulated in our jurisprudence. And this is why we really have in operation two different constitutions today. We have the actual written document that still is supposed to govern us. And then we have a history of all of the case law and all of the statutes and all of these ridiculous organizations like the CDC and the, uh, the Department of Education and all of these things that are totally unconstitutional agencies that seek to govern us that are really in operation because we the people have failed to see and failed to advocate for limited powers. And to go back to the US Constitution and say, wait a minute, before we the people, it's not a matter of just retaining a majority. It's a matter of retaining the premise of truth and arguing for truth. And if you trace the history of our jurisprudence, not just from the very beginning, but especially and particularly from 1965 in Griswold versus Connecticut, every single case after that, that promoted and continued to advance the secular humanist worldview, which is this false notion that we're just in a social contract theory and that the majority whim can dictate how we govern ourselves and speak for we the people, you will see that they go back to this penumbra doctrine every single time. It's the same way that they tried to redefine marriage in the Obergefell versus Hodges case in 2015. It's the same way that they tried to redefine what a person is in Roe versus Wade and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which continued that precedent. And thankfully, Dobbs, through a actually conservative originalist majority said, no, that case was fundamentally flawed at its inception. We have representatives in our state and federal legislatures that act as our representatives for the sole and express purpose to preserve our rights as human beings made in the image of God. That includes all of us. It includes every human being from the moment of conception all the way until natural death. 
We cannot be pro-life advocates just from the moment of conception and for the unborn. We have to also be pro-life advocates against all of these ridiculous end-of-life bills, physician-assisted suicide, some of these other things that seek to redefine and re-arbitrate what it means to be a person and not only have a right to life, but understand that it is God who determines every single moment from the moment of our conception to the moment of our natural death. And if we are truth seekers and we are advocates for the truth and we understand why we should be so proud to be Americans, and I am still very proud to be an American, and it's because of what our founders recognized that we have failed as conservatives to continue to promote. And so if we, the people, are sitting back and saying, we are going to simply say, I don't want the government to control me. Government needs to get out, get off my lawn, that kind of, a, of an argument. We are seeking unknowingly to promote a leftist agenda, which is that we want to govern and arbitrate our own reality. We have to go back and ask not only this fundamental question, are we a Christian nation, and answer yes and say why, because of our declaration, our recognition of truth, but also we have to say we are under God's authority and there are moral bright lines. There are definitions to what is a woman, when does life begin, what an experimental vaccine is, what freedom of speech means. All of these things, we cannot yield the definitions to this vagary that the leftists try to impose because if we lose the definitions of terms, then we are losing the definition of what well-ordered liberty genuinely means. So if there's one thing I would ask for you today, be a conservative, not because you're a member of one political party or the other, or you support you know, somebody in the primary or the other, or because you want to say to the government, get off my lawn. Be a conservative because you understand that what we are all doing and what we, the patriots, is doing through the litigation process, what uh, Dr. McCullough, what all of these, what Abby Johnson, all of these people are doing in their specific policy issues, what we are advancing ultimately is truth. And we cannot back down and ever yield the definition of truth that truth is objective and that truth is the person of God. So are we a Christian nation? Yes, absolutely. And I will defend that to the death. So thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back, and I am so excited for Monday morning because, as I've told you throughout this week, we are going to have a segment at least, at least one each and every morning to talk about our U.S. Constitution even more. I hope you enjoyed the presentation in the preceding segment uh, that we're just going to talk about the U.S. Constitution, figure out our rule book and our rule of law. What do we mean by that? And uh, go through not only the U.S. Constitution, uh, some of the history and all of that, um, but then also get into substantively some of the precedent, like what I was talking about, how we started in 1965 to, to really uh, get off 
this particular uh, track into all of these social issues and um, have these doctrines of the court that absolutely don't make sense. So I'm excited about it. I know you're excited about it. You can tell me how excited you are about it. Uh, at Jenna at AFR.net. Have an absolutely fantastic weekend, and I will see you Monday morning.